Arrowhead's Lost Horde by Hazel Spire Chapter 1. Jet Lag Craig felt a tap on his shoulder. He growled like a bear roused from hibernation too soon. Where am I? Arrowhead Island, of course, a perky British voice replied. As Craig rolled over in the top bunk, he remembered the long journey from Kansas to his father's home in England. He peered into the face of his new stepbrother, Tony, who stood on the ladder with a rolled-up towel, eyes shining chocolate brown, in contrast to Craig's washed-out blue. "'Want to go for a swim after I help Dad with the boats?' Tony asked. A cold claw of envy seized Craig's gut. "'Hey, you're supposed to call him John, not Dad,' he protested. Tony shrugged. "'So? You want to come or not?' No, go without me. Why, can't you swim? Of course I can, but yesterday wiped me out. Craig pulled the quilt over his head, blinking back tears of resentment. A twelve-year-old can't let an eleven-year-old see him cry. Too bad, Tony said. I was going to show you something. What? Craig mumbled. Never mind. Tony jumped down and ran out of the room. Mad at the world, Craig punched his pillow. No fair. Tony hangs around Dad every day, and all I get is one measly month a year. Their younger sisters did not bother Craig half as much as this skinny, freckle-faced kid who had weaseled his way into Dad's life and thought he knew all there was to know about boats. They even had to share a bunk bed in the sunroom, because every summer this house became Lavender Lodge, a small hotel run by Tony's mother, Leslie. The sun beat down on the glass roof, chairs scraped the floor in the dining room, and the front door banged as guests left to explore Arrowhead Island. Get up! a seagull scolded through the skylight. But Craig's body said it should be midnight. His skull seemed to be stuffed with cotton. Jet lag lag dragged him like ocean currents into a strange, deep sleep. He dreamed of that summer long before the divorce, when his British father had brought him, his mum and Kim here on vacation, building sandcastles, eating ice cream, and spinning for mackerel in Black Rock Bay. Then Craig's Kansas life got mixed into the dream, and his dog ran across the beach instead of the prairie. He awoke to the hammering of his stepsister's piano practice. A nursery rhyme played at breakneck speed. It vibrated through the wall from the girl's makeshift bedroom. Too early for that racket, Fiona, he muttered. Groping along the shelf for his watch, Craig knocked over a photo frame. It skittered sideways, dive-bombed to the floor, and shattered into a zillion slivers. He slid down to inspect the damage. Most of the fragments had stayed in the frame, but a glass dagger slashed the newspaper clipping. A picture of a bearded man with the caption, Ron Shields, father of two, drowns in lifeboat tragedy. What if Tony's father hadn't died saving a cliff climber? Craig wondered, biting his lip. Leslie would not have married Dad. He might have gone back to Kansas, back to Mom. As he wrapped the frame in his sweatshirt and stuffed it under the bottom bunk, 
A clock in the hall chimed ten. Yikes! Craig pulled on his Bulls basketball shorts and T-shirt. Then he attached a zoom lens to his SLR camera and crept through the playroom where Fiona pounded out her nursery rhymes. He passed the crimson-carpeted stairs that led to the bedrooms, all booked this week except for the top room, number 13. In the bathroom, Craig rubbed a dab of gel into his new haircut. The shaved sections showed off his tan. "'You smile like Prince William,' Fiona had remarked at the airport yesterday. But he couldn't smile right now. Thoughts of Tony still bugged him. Craig found his sister at the kitchen table, wearing a purple sundress. As she wolfed down a sausage link, no easy task with her braces, Kim reminded him of a bratwurst about to burst its skin. But her golden French braid had survived the flight, and she didn't look one bit jet-lagged. Their stepmother turned to Craig from the sink. Freckled and brown-eyed, Leslie looked younger than his mum, but deep lines crossed her forehead. So you've emerged from your cocoon, she said, walking over to the teapot. Uh, yes, ma'am. Call me Leslie, she said. She reached for the milk in a non-stop motion, like the battery-operated bunny on TV. Caught up on your sleep, love? Still kind of woozy, Craig admitted, stifling a yawn. I see. Craig never knew how to interpret Leslie's pet expression. I see. He gets jet lag real bad, Kim explained. I see. Leslie handed Craig a mug of steaming tea. He drinks iced tea at home, Kim piped up. Her eyes, a deeper blue than Craig's, were round with honesty. Between sips of milky tea, Craig said, uh, This is fine. He couldn't expect his stepmother to know his taste when they'd only met once before at the wedding last fall. While Leslie slipped away to help the waitress in the dining room, Craig hissed, Watch your manners, Kim. We don't want her to think we're spoiled American brats. Kimberly snickered. Craig ate a few cornflakes. Their stepmother reappeared with a rattling cart loaded with egg-smeared plates. Then the piano lid slammed. Fiona skipped into the kitchen, her brown hair swinging in two ponytails. I finished practicing, Mum, she said, in the same accent as Tony's, but more clipped, like royalty. No, you haven't, young lady. I didn't hear the bluebells of Scotland, and your concert's in ten days. Fiona's dark eyebrows met in a frown. When are we going to Barnacle Cove? Tony's down there already. Try keeping him away, her mother said with a grin. He's putting deck chairs on the beach and petrol in the outboard motors for Dad. Craig felt the chilly sensation of loss, like a basketball player dropped from the team after sitting out half the season. No one had asked him if these kids could call his father Dad. Tony left his town in the playroom. What a scatterbrain, Fiona said. Never mind that. Help me load the dishwasher, Leslie said. Then you can take Craig and Kim to the beach. I love the beach, said Kim. We're miles from the ocean in Kansas. Do you have tornadoes like in the Wizard of Oz, Fiona asked, wide-eyed. Yes, we have drills at school. We curl up on the floor like turtles. Craig paced the kitchen with his camera loaded. Quit yakking, he wanted to scream. Mr. Pigeon arrives tomorrow, Leslie stated. Fiona dropped a bundle of silverware. He stayed here before. He's weird. 
Leslie laughed as she gathered up greasy knives. Oh, he's harmless. I'll get the top room ready. Unlucky thirteen, Fiona whispered ominously. That's what Fiona calls it, Leslie explained to Craig, but we never numbered it. Not that I'm superstitious. It's only a pokey attic room. She flapped her dishcloth. Off you go. You'll be in time for your father's next boat trip. Lavender Lodge sat on a cliff above the bay, with blue gables that gave it a welcoming appearance. As the kids headed south down Bishop Street, Kim sniffed a sprig of lavender picked from a bush in front. Who is this Mr. Pigeon? she asked. Fiona rubbed her freckled arms. I heard he's a professor. He looks like his name. Wears a grey raincoat that flashes rainbow colours and walks like this. She strutted and bobbed her head. Kim giggled. Are you kidding? No, I'm dead serious. Tony's meeting Mr. Pigeon's train tomorrow with his luggage cart. Then you'll see what I mean. Craig strode ahead. He carried his camera as an extension of his body like a businessman glued to his cell phone. He swung around and focused on the girls as they snickered over one of Kim's corny jokes. Hey, Kim squealed. Did you take our picture? Uh-huh. Craig liked to snap people when they acted goofy, instead of posing them with fake smiles. He couldn't believe how easily the girls picked up their friendship, as if it were a jump rope in the playground. They even wore the same colours, pink and purple. Yet Craig felt so jealous of Tony that his chest hurt. He could hardly wait to have Dad to himself.